Maybe one of the more challenging things about this time of year is, it's just dark a lot, isn't it? I mean, you get up in the morning and it's dark. If you go to work, you come home from work and it's dark. It just seems like there's this tiny little bit of daylight in between. That's what it can feel like not only physically, but sometimes emotionally. There's just lots of darkness in our life. Or maybe that God feels a little bit hidden from us. And that's kind of that sense of darkness that we know God's there, but just like when you wake up and it's dark outside and you're looking around, or if the power goes off in your house and you're looking around and you can't find things, it's the same way with God sometimes. The sense of darkness, the sense that God is hidden or hiding from us. And I think that's maybe how the people of Israel felt in the book of Isaiah, especially the first section of it. So we've been looking at the prophet Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah writes during this time when the people of God are going through challenging times. And one of them is they're taken off into exile. They're, a foreign country comes in and conquers them and takes them off into exile. And in that moment, I imagine that they felt like maybe God was hidden. Where was this God who was supposed to protect them? Where was this God who was supposed to watch over them? Where was this God who was supposed to take care of them? And maybe it's like that for us sometimes. Then when we're going through these hard and difficult and challenging times, we kind of wonder, where is God in the midst of all of this? Maybe it feels like we're calling out to God and God is hiding his face. Or like with Susan, when she was demonstrating there, we're calling out to God and God has turned his back on us. And maybe he isn't listening. And so we come to Isaiah chapter 40. And Isaiah chapter 40 is sort of this turning point in the book of Isaiah. The first 39 chapters are really a lot of darkness. And Isaiah the prophet speaking to the people of God and warning them of all the challenges. Speaking to them of what they've done wrong. And then we come to this opening of Isaiah chapter 40. And then in the midst of the darkness there's this voice. There's this voice of God speaking, and it sounds like maybe he's, he's talking to the angels or the other spiritual beings, and he's telling them to share a word with the people of God. We ask, what does he want them to hear? These people who have been in exile, what does he want them to hear after they've been suffering their consequences? And maybe the question is, do they even want to hear from God? And he speaks these words. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, comfort is one of those words that we use in different ways today than maybe what Isaiah was meaning there. When you think of the word comfort, what do you think of? Like a big lazy boy chair, right? Or maybe we talk about comfort foods, right? It's that, it's that cold time of year, and so maybe your comfort food is some hot soup or some hot bread or whatever it is that, that gives you comfort. But this is something much more than that. When God speaks a word of comfort to his people, it's that kind of comfort that someone comes and brings to someone who's grieving the loss of a family member. And it's a double measure. It's not just comfort, but it's comfort, comfort. He's emphasizing and saying, this is what I want my people to hear. And notice he speaks to, he says, comfort, comfort, my people. He's reminding them this is the people who had not been living the life that they were supposed to, the people of God who had turned away from God, who had been following idols and worshiping other gods and trusting in other powers. But he wanted them to remind them that they hadn't been abandoned. He says, comfort, comfort my people. And then he speaks, he says, speak tenderly 
to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Speak tenderly. There's this God of compassion. They've been disobedient, but the words that come from God aren't words of condemnation, but comfort. And that's sometimes something we need to remember, remind ourselves that these are the words that God speaks to us, not of condemnation, but words of comfort in times of challenge. He says, tell them they are released, that their debt is paid for, that here is God's unmerited forgiveness. His grace has come to them, that they've gone off. Remember, they've gone off into captivity. They've been taken into captivity because of their sins. They haven't done anything different to be released, but God in His grace, comes and acts and brings them out of captivity. And he says, I want them to know that their debt has been paid. That they're not saving themselves. He doesn't say, well, you've paid for it, but he says, they've, they're not saving themselves, but instead God has acted. And that's the story of Christmas. And we're getting ready to celebrate that God acts and God comes and delivers. God enters into our problems and acts. This is God's move to save, God's move to act, even in the midst of sin. That's Christmas, where Jesus enters in, and even in the midst of our mess, even in the midst of the mess of the world that Jesus enters in. And we see the connection even between this and the Christmas story from the passage that J.R. read earlier from the Gospel of Mark. We hear this story of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist comes and he announces the coming of Jesus. And he's a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. And he connects those verses. And so in Isaiah, it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And here's this voice calling to prepare a way, to make it ready. And so here's what's going on is we can't save ourselves, but we can be ready. We can prepare for the coming of God. We can prepare for the coming of Jesus, for his return again. And so that's what Advent is in some sense. This season we celebrate these four weeks leading up to Christmas and the world around us kind of rushes from Thanksgiving to Christmas or really nowadays what it's like Halloween to Christmas, isn't it? I think... I don't remember, I think I saw first Christmas things popping up sometime in the middle of October, and we're just kind of this rush to it. But the church, we want to slow down and prepare and think about what does Christmas mean? What's going on, and how do we prepare our hearts for Christmas? Most of us probably have a long list of preparations getting ready for Christmas, don't we? If you have friends, if you have family, maybe people coming over, maybe gifts to prepare, special cookies, special uh, dishes to prepare. Maybe the house needs to be clean. The tree needs to go up. All the decorations need to be There's all this preparation. But Advent, our time when we gather as the people of God, is a time when we recognize we also need to prepare our hearts. Prepare to think about it. And what Isaiah is speaking of here is this sense of preparing for the coming king. It's an image of the king is returning back to his kingdom. He's gone to a far-off country, and he's coming, and we're preparing the road for him. And the idea is, we can't see the king yet. He's a long ways off, but we need to be ready. 
We can't see him coming, but we're called to act in faith and believe he is coming. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the sermon about what it means to prepare. But then we come to the point where it says, and what happens when he comes? And so in Isaiah 45, it says, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so we see this sense of glory. God's glory has appeared, his power and his goodness. So we see that in the life of Jesus in uh, the Gospel of John. John writes it this way. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen what? His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so here's Isaiah speaking of that same thing that when God comes, we will see his glory. And so when Jesus came, we saw the glory of God. When Jesus came, we saw what God was like. And we're kind of working through this passage, this prophecy of Isaiah, of Isaiah. And then it kind of comes, takes a strange turn because we're talking about mountains being laid low and the glory of God appearing. And then all of a sudden we're talking about grass and flowers withering. And what's that all about? It's kind of a strange thing, but I think what is happening here is he's talking about what goes on. He's, he's shifting to this point where there's these words of comfort. Then he's talking about the people are like grass. In other words, they don't last they wither when God blows on them. He says, a voice cries out, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? He said, all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. So here he is talking about the greatness of the coming of God. And then he says, y'all are grass. You wither, you fall. So why does he say this to them? I think it's two reasons he does this. One is it's a reminder to the people that they can't save themselves. That they need him to come and rescue them. They can't just do this on their own. But the other question maybe that's in the back of their heads is they've been taken off into captivity in Babylon. This great power, this great kingdom. And so maybe the question is, well, what God, what God's going to do with that? How can God overcome the power of that? And God says, yeah, even Babylon, they're like grass. I just blow and they're gone. They fail, and they go to dust. They're nothing. And so it's maybe a message to us to say, wonder and ask that question when we're facing challenges, when we're facing the darkness, when we're facing obstacles and difficulties in our life to say, can God handle that? Can God overcome that problem? Can God deal with that situation that I'm facing? And God says, all I have to do is blow on it. Mere breath and it just falls. It withers like the grass, like the flowers. And so God is reminding his people then and his people now that these challenges, these problems are nothing, that they fail. That when we encounter the wind, the spirit, the breath, and so there's this Hebrew word ruach, which means all those things. It's the wind, it's the spirit, it's the breath of God. All these things, it's the destruction of pride, but that same voice, remember he's been speaking the voice of God, this wind, this spirit, this breath of God is speaking, and it brings hope. And it's saying, whatever lies ahead, whatever's coming before you, God's promises will not fail. And so it's an invitation to hear this too for us, that the God who comforts and restores and brings peace, who saves, who keeps promises. So if we have all those things, we have a God who comforts, 
We have a God who restores, a God who brings peace, a God who saves, a God who keeps promises. What do you call that? Good news, right? I mean, that's good news, isn't it? And what do, you, what do you do when you get some good news? What do you do with good news? You tell somebody, right? That's exactly what Isaiah says. He says, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah. In other words, tell all the people around you, here is your God. Here's the people of God, the Israelites here in this case, invited to become part of God's good work. If we remember the story of the Bible, that God created the world and people went into rebellion and God enacted a plan to try and save them and he was doing it through a people, the descendants of Abraham, and he called Abraham and he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless you and through you all nations will be blessed. And so he's constantly doing things for this people called Israel. He rescues them out of slavery. He brings them to Sinai. When they go into exile, he brings them back out of exile. But he never does it just for the sake of Israel. He saves Israel. Why? So they can tell the whole world about God. So that in God's saving of Israel, all the world will see the goodness of God. This is the story of the Bible, that God was never saving them for their own sake, but for the sake of the world. And here they are invited to participate in the story of God. They're saying, God is telling them, I rescued you. I brought you out. Now what I want you to do with that is not just sit around and say, well, that was great. But instead what? Go up on a mountain. Go up on the hills. Get out there and shout. Shout the good news. And what's the good news? That God is here. It says, here is your God. To hear that again, he says, lift up your voice. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And so what he's talking about is that God has come. That's the good news, that God has come. And that's the story again. We kind of keep coming back around to Christmas, don't we? But the story, the good news of Christmas is that God didn't just send a messenger. He didn't just send an idea. He didn't send simply a philosophy or a set of teachings. He didn't drop a book down for us. But instead, he himself came. That Jesus came that God in the flesh came. And so, and what is that Jesus come? What does Jesus do when he comes? Or how does he come? Maybe we could say, it says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And so here's this picture of what God does. What God did for the people of Israel and what he does for us. The way that he comes in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our trials. He invites us to hear those words. And so I invite us this morning to consider what do these words say to us? Or what's our invitation today? What do we proclaim? What's the good news that we announce today? I think there's a couple ways we can look at it. The first is to say, Some of us are in the midst of dark days. It may be something that's going on in our own life, some challenge that we're facing, some obstacle. It may be wondering about a job. It may be a loved one and the challenges they're facing. It's our own sickness, our own grief, our own despair. Or maybe it's we're overwhelmed by what's going on in the world. I know I get that way sometimes. I 
I go back and forth between trying to keep up on the news and just wanting to never look at it again. I want to know what's going on in the world, but then sometimes I, I wonder why do I want to know because I feel helpless. I mean, what can I do about the slaughter in Gaza? What can I do about the war going on in Congo? What can I do about famines in Sudan and Syria? What can I do about all these things that are going on when there's thousands of people being sold into human trafficking? All these things can seem overwhelming to us. And sometimes it feels like God is hidden, that he's not there, and maybe my prayers aren't being answered. And I wonder, what can I do in the midst of all these things? What can I do in the midst of all these challenges? What can I do in the midst of this darkness? What can we do? And I would invite us again to hear those words of Isaiah. Hear again the words that God speaks to his people when he says, comfort, comfort. That he knows the challenges and the trials that we're going through. That he knows the difficulties we're facing. He knows what's going on inside of us. And not simply as a God who lives in a distance, but he knows them because he came and lived among us. That Jesus lived as a man. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to experience pain. He knows what it's like to experience suffering and loss. He knows what's going on and he speaks these words of comfort, comfort to us. He speaks words not of condemnation, but of comfort. So we hear those words again. And we also pray that God would be revealed to us. That we would see God, that, that picture of God who comes, this good news of the God who comes to save and is revealed. And we would experience a sense of here is your God. And it looks different for all of us, but sometimes that's what we need. We need some true experience of God. Some sense of God is here and God cares about me. Sometimes it's something big and incredible and miraculous, and sometimes it's just a little thing. Sometimes it's simply us sitting in the midst of the darkness and recalling a Bible verse, recalling a word that somebody said to us. Or maybe it's getting a phone call or a card from someone. Maybe it's God speaking directly to us and reminding us that we are his children, we are loved. So my prayer for all of us this Advent season as we go through times of darkness and to know that all of us go through those times. All of us go through those times and that's a normal part of the Christian experience. Sometimes we have a tendency to think, oh, I'm a Christian, life is happy all the time. God never promises that. And so we need to disavow ourselves and we need to renounce. We need to call that out as a lie when someone tells you like, oh, if you're a Christian, everything's going to be happy and great and you'll never go through hard times. And you just say, no, I'm not going to, because that's simply not true. I'd like it to be true. It would be great if that were the case, but it's not. Jesus himself has told us that we're going to have hard times and difficulties in this world. But it never means that God has abandoned us. It never means that God is not there. It never means that we don't have this experience. So my prayer for all of us is that we would experience that sense of God's presence, of God's goodness to us in the midst of those dark times and in the midst of the challenges. That we would have that moment of time to say, here is my God. The second invitation to us is to think about how we might prepare. 
Actually, I'm going to go back one, is to think about this, is hearing those words of comfort. And one other way we might do that is to hear again those words where it says, He, that is our Lord, tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And so maybe what it is for you in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of those times, is to simply meditate and rest in that image. Is to come back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, and say, God is like a shepherd who holds me close to his heart. And whatever that might look like for you to say, that's the picture I'm going to rest in. That's what I need to do. And maybe it's writing about it. Maybe it's drawing a picture of it. Maybe it's simply sitting and meditating and resting, saying, that's what God does with me. God is like a shepherd. He doesn't come with an arm to crush me down, but instead he comes with an arm to scoop me up and hold me close to his heart. And so when you're going through those hard times, when those times of darkness are falling around you and it feels hopeless and helpless, to picture yourself being held close to the heart of God, our good shepherd. The other invitation for us today is to think about how we prepare. And so that was what I talked about earlier, is that we're to prepare for the coming of Jesus, just like the people were called to make a way in the wilderness for the coming of the king. So how do we get ready? How do we get ready for the coming of the king? And I think Isaiah gives us interesting words here. And one of the ways we can get ready, and this might not seem like the natural way, but I think one of the best ways to get ready for the coming of the king is to live this life that he's called him to. It says, those who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. So one of the ways we prepare for the return of the king is to go up on mountains, to go up on the high places and to shout out, here is God. So what does that look like? It's to tell someone about the good news of Jesus. To simply look around and say, I'm going to tell someone about the good news of Jesus. And sometimes we make this overly complicated. We think of where it says to Peter, he says, oh, you know, always have an answer ready for prepared to, about the hope that's within you. We think, well, I have to be able to defend and I have to explain all these complicated things that what we call apologetics. You know, what, what if people ask me about the Bible? What if people ask me about the existence of God? What if people ask me about the, the problem of evil? Here is what the people say. Is they say, here's your God. Just point them to Jesus. Say, I don't have all the answers to those, or here's some possible things about them. But the first thing we need to do is constantly point people to Jesus and who he is and the good news of him. We can sort out all those questions later because the reality of it is there are a lot of people who follow Jesus and have given their lives to them who still don't have the answers to all those questions. And those questions can sometimes be a way to avoid it. But to simply say, let me just tell you about Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. That can be one of the best ways to proclaim and to get ready for the coming of Jesus is to tell people about who Jesus is. And just say, this is what Jesus has done for me. To say, this year we're celebrating, we're celebrating Christmas, and Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. And for me, Jesus 
is understanding that I can't work my way to God. But that God came and he saved me. Or maybe Jesus came to show me what it looks like to live as a human being. He showed me what a human flourishing looks like. He showed me what a full life looks like as I see his thing and he calls me to live like him and he helps me to live like him. All of us experience it a little bit differently, but one of the best ways is to talk about what he's done for you. You don't need to explain the historical facts all about Jesus or, or try and defend all the different questions that people have about the faith, but one of the best ways is to simply say, here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's who Jesus is. Here's how last year when I was going through this difficult time, this is how Jesus helped me. This is how when I was experiencing thoughts about who I was, how Jesus changed the way I viewed myself. And so we can be who God has called us to be, and that's one of the best ways to prepare for the return of Jesus, because now we're living in this time between when Jesus came the first time and when he comes again. And when he comes again, he's going to be looking to people and wondering who has given their life to Jesus. And so he's inviting us to say, tell people about Jesus. And trust me, I know it's hard. It's hard sometimes to talk to people because we live in a culture where we see things that we don't talk about. We don't want to talk about religion and we risk offending people. And we're... But we still find that most cases, in most cases, people aren't offended by Jesus. People get bothered by the church and by religion and all kinds of things. But Jesus, if you just point people to Jesus, he is incredibly attractive in, in the sense of he's somebody that people are drawn to when you see his life and the way that he lived. And the way that he changes lives, it draws people in and they find themselves thinking so often people say, I love Jesus, but not the church. And there's, that's a whole other rabbit trail to discuss and the problems with that idea. But, but the truth is people, for the most part, they find Jesus as fascinating. They find Jesus as interesting, or at least they find Jesus as somebody they want to know more about. And so talk to them about Jesus. You don't need to explain to them Advent and how it's a Latin word meaning coming. You don't need to explain to them all the fancy theological terms or explain everything, but just tell them about Jesus. Say, here is your God. Stand up on the mountaintops and shout it. Maybe invite them to church. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago a survey, a book that was written about the great unchurching, about the many people who've left church over the last 20, 25 years, nearly 10, 10 million people, 20 million people here in the United States. But one of the interesting things that as the people put these studies together, looked at the people, that there's a vast majority of those people, many of the people who have left, who still have faith, in, who would return to church if somebody simply asked them. I think the numbers were like 80, 80, 80 85% of people in, the, in some of those categories would simply like, if someone asked them, they would go back to church. And so maybe it's just thinking through, going through that pictures in your mind of who are those people that have become de-churched? And they, this is the, these are the kind of people I'm talking about that, that used to come to church maybe once a month or maybe, you know, at least somewhat regularly who don't ever come anymore. And most of them, 
are open to the idea of coming. They just want somebody to ask. And so could we ask somebody, think about who are those, who are some of those people, and give them a call, send them a note. Stop by and say, hey, why don't you come by? It's Christmas time. Why don't you come and celebrate? Why don't you come back? Because we miss you. We want to see you. And so there's one of the ways that we can do it. So God comes to the people of Israel and he says, comfort. He speaks words of comfort in the midst of the darkness. And then he calls them to celebrate that good news. And so that's our call, Fruitland, to lift up our voice to lift up our voice with a shout, to not be afraid, to say to the towns of Muskegon County, here is your God. Amen.